Hello and welcome back to the 1971 podcast with me, Fran Lieber. Thank you so much for coming back. I can't believe that we're on episode four already. Like I've done three episodes before this, edited it and put it out for the world to hear and been getting some really good feedback about it. So thank you so much for that Um, because I am limited in the resources that I have and what I know technically. So it is all just a learning curve and, you know, just learning as I go along. So thank you so much for your nice comments. So in this section, I'm going to talk about the WSL, the matches that we've just had, the title race, and then my new section, my team of the week. Uh, so let's go. We only had four matches this weekend due to the rearranged fixtures from the Queen's passing. I went to two, City v Arsenal and then Spurs v United. So I want to get into those and then talk about the other two games. So let's start with City and Arsenal. I wasn't expecting that result, I'm going to be honest, like I wasn't. I don't think many were. Um, you know, the comments I've heard like since is that if that match was played the opening weekend, Arsenal would have probably won it hands down. So well done to City and very unlucky for Arsenal. This much was clear whilst I was watching it. City were very much on it while Arsenal was not no i'm not sure what's happening there with arsenal they just didn't look on it at all they kept changing formation and it wasn't working and i feel like gareth taylor just wants to annoy me at this point because he brought on hayley rasso again in the 90th minute but do you know what fair, fair play to chloe kelly even with what i said last week i think she had a very very good game and then absolutely killed it by going to the brits so fair play i thought lauren hemp proved yet again that she is a go in the making I just hope City keep a hold of her in the summer because I can see her going abroad and then the team will be in trouble if they lose her. I also just want to give a quick shout out to UI Hansa Gehua. I've really just butchered that and I'm so sorry. I think that she has been City's unsung hero so many times since her arrival. She is key in that midfield and she had this shot on target during the game that was just like beautiful. That hit the crossbar but it nearly, nearly, nearly went in. I think if she keeps practicing that, one day that will go in and she'll be scoring absolute screamers. Speaking of screamers, shall we shall we shall we talk about the Spurs and United game, guys? Shall we shall we shall we get into that? Shall we delve into that? Because that was that was a game. So yeah, speaking of screamers, I think we can agree that if there was a screamer goal of the week, that would go to Bethany England. Am I right? Am I wrong? I'm right, aren't I? Game right. This this game. Let's 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 get into it. Let's get into it. I'm sat down, but I'm sit, I'm sitting down even more. For that first entire first half and a little bit of the second half, I was thinking, I can't call this. United couldn't get any shots in. Spurs couldn't keep hold of the ball. I just didn't know which way it was going to go. Leah Galton was always going to score. Give her space. She's going to do it. But then Bethany responded with that banger of a goal. Unfortunately, then there was that own goal. Okay, guys, let, let's talk about the main topic of the week. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about Ella Toon's red card, which has now been overturned. I'm going to be honest. From where I was sitting, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I didn't see anything. I just saw the players running together, arguing, and then Ella going down the tunnel. I, I hadn't had a clue what was going on. I then saw the video later, and I do have mixed feelings about the whole thing. You know, I've, re I've rewrote this section like several times as the week's gone on because obviously there's been developments. Um, but let's let's get into it. For me, the whole the whole incident was actually two incidents. The tackle, the reaction. Each of those to me is a yellow card. So overall, it is a red card. But the referee didn't call it like that. 
it was a straight red. It should have been a yellow, another yellow, then a red. So basically, tackle yellow, reaction yellow, boom, together is a red. That is why I believe the right decision was made to overturn it because the referee followed the wrong process. If you are a United fan, you probably agree with this next bit. But the choice to punish Evelina Solomon for successful claim of wrongful dismissal was also very wrong. Like, what is going on in this game? Like, what is going on? You can look at the action of her covering her face in two ways. First, you can look at it as if she thought Ella Toon was going for the face. She done it quickly to protect herself. Or in fact, she has done it to trick the referee. But how, how does she know in that moment exactly where the ref was or if it would work? Like, how did she know? But either way, the bottom line is you cannot have one action without the other. Sunderman wouldn't have covered her face if Toon didn't adopt an aggressive attitude. It doesn't matter if there was contact to the face or other part of the body. Toon's actions were there with the intention of being aggressive and possibly causing harm. You only have to look at the stills of her facial expression. If you want to argue that that isn't any type of foul, that's fine. But for me, that kind of aggression has no place in the game. Period. It also goes back to the English bias that I've spoken about before. Do I believe if the situation was reversed, it would have been treated the same? No, I don't. Not at all. Would it have been the same if it was a non-English player? No, I don't think it would have been. Right, so I'm just going to talk briefly about the other games um, from what I've seen. Um, I had a very busy weekend, so I've not had a chance to see like the full highlights. Uh, let's start with Villa v Brighton. Well, Villa had a nice party at home, didn't they? Jordan Nobbs just doing Jordan Nobbs things. I said last week it would take time for her form to return, but I think but I think this week's performance was more of her trying to prove a point after being called up to the Arnold Clark Cup following Fran Kirby's injury. Side note, why are fans celebrating Fran's injury? This is very worrying for both Chelsea and England. It's good that we have a replacement like Jordan, but let's let's not celebrate injuries, please. It's good news for her, but under the worst circumstances. She has to take this out as a win, but she needs to fight now to be the first choice, not just a replacement call-up. We've got to focus on the positives and it will be really nice to see her in an England shirt again. Also, Rachel Daly, Golden Boot, anyone? Are we taking predictions or bets yet? Because Manman is currently on her. Liverpool and Leicester. Nice little scrappy game from what I saw. Liverpool had so many near chances to have a goal, but I had no idea how they didn't score. Like everything that I saw, they were so close to getting a goal in, but just couldn't find the back of the net. On paper, the way that both of these teams are performing, Liverpool should have won. But it was a nice goal from Hannah Kane that kept Leicester's hopes of staying up alive. The signings that they have done have definitely made that promising and I wouldn't like to see them go down. It's also great to see Ruby Mace get some quality game time. Do you know? I have concluded that March will decide the title and it will all come down to Spurs. Let me tell you why it will come down to Spurs. Because they've got City, they've got Liverpool and they've got Arsenal. Chelsea have already taken all six points from Spurs. Are Arsenal, Liverpool and City going to do the same? March is going to be very interesting for Spurs. Very interesting. More on that later. With that, I am going to start my new section that I just thought would be a little bit of fun. This is my WSL team of the week with no explanation. Fran's WSL team of the week. For the weekend of the 11th to the 12th of February, with no explanation, like I said. With only four games this week, with all different formations, etc., this was harder than I expected. So, there might be the odd person playing out of position. 
but don't come for me. These these were the 11 outstanding players for me this weekend. I just need to make a quick side note slash disclaimer. There is like a good chance I might butcher some of these names that I'm about to say. I do think I have a valid excuse though. Um, So basically I have ADHD and sometimes my brain just doesn't work with names. I'm getting better, um, but just sometimes the way I read it um, in my head is not the same as saying it out loud. I used to beat myself up so much about it and thought I could never do something like this or pursue a career in sports content. Um, But I just looked at Alex Scott. Alex Scott has a stutter and she's adapted herself and she's absolutely smashing it. So I just think if Alex Scott can do it, then so can I. Um, But yeah, I'm sorry if I do butcher those names. What I'm always doing is that when it's a player whose name I can't pronounce like straight off the bat, is I'm like Googling how to say their name, see if they've done any interviews where they say their name. And then I write it out phonetically in my script, but just sometimes it doesn't always work. Like my brain just doesn't commute sometimes. So yeah, please don't get pressed. Please don't get offended if I'm if I mispronounce some of these names. I am trying my best. I just I just struggle sometimes. So my WSL team of the week is as follows: Ellie Roebuck, Anya Batya, Raphael Soria, Alex Greenwood. Kirsten Caspia, UI, Hassa, Goya, Jordan Nobbs, Ruben Mayus, Manya Inabuche, Beth England, and Lauren Hemp. I won't lie, I just took like the biggest break from recording this podcast because I got really excited that matches over my birthday weekend in March are being rearranged which means I can now go to the North London Derby and City v Chelsea because I couldn't before because they were both at the same time, but now they're on separate days. So the next thing that I want to talk about is the discussion that's happening or is ongoing about who should be England's next number nine. When Ellen White retired from an incredible career, talk began on who this number, this position should fall to. Names have been mentioned from Alessia Russo down to Rachel Daly's current form. Either way, it's created discussion. It's an interesting one. Here's my thing with this whole, this whole thing. This debate actually poses more than one question that I haven't heard many talk about. Being a number nine and actually having the number nine on the back of your t-shirt is two different things. Either way, Serena isn't going to be taking just one striker to the World Cup. She's probably going to take three to four. I think historically the number nine means something like the actual number nine on your shirt it means something you're a striker it's the history behind it it means a lot to some players but there's also other players that have made a legacy out of a number that is outside the standard one to eleven look at sam kerr part of her brand is being the number 20 but she plays in that number nine to ten position in some ways it doesn't matter which number is on your shirt it's how you play i apply this to alessia russo she should be at the World Cup in a number nine position, but I don't think she should be given the number itself. I think as her platform and career grows, she is making the number 23 part of her brand. Having the historical one to 11 number is one thing. It means something, but I think making a brand out of a number is just as important. Like I just mentioned, you think of the number 20, you think of Sam Kerr. I think the same with Alessia Russo. You think of the 23 number, you think of her. She's making that number her own, and I don't think she should lose that. 
It gives her a unique selling point. But overall, she's still going to be playing in the number nine position. Let's talk about Rachel Daly. People, including her Villa teammates, are saying give her the number nine. So what's my opinion? I don't think she should make the move forward permanent. We can't afford to lose her in defence, but also with the skills she's showing, we need to keep options open, rotate it but don't keep her in one position. So with that, I don't think she should be given the physical number, but I do think she should play a striker more for England. Her skills are too valuable all over the pitch to keep her rooted. I think the best number for her would be four or eight, because whilst I said numbers don't matter, the ones that are old-fashioned, I think those are the best numbers because she's versatile. I'm leaning towards the number eight at the moment, mainly because that's her number at Villa, and I think it suits her more. So there's only one person that I truly believe that if her form continues, and she carries on the way she's been performing, the only person to me that should get the physical number nine is Bethany England. With that, I'm not saying she should be the preferred striker all the time, but to me, that makes sense. I don't think it would necessarily happen, and if she does make it to the World Cup, she probably will go under another number. Also, side note, I think it makes a statement that England's number nine and one of their strikers is, well, England. Vaccine alone, I think it's a dream. Then I would definitely take Ebony Sanham. Mainly just because she's so young and it would be so beneficial to her, but not necessarily get as much game time as others. So to conclude, right now, all, all of course depends on form, injuries, etc. I would take Alessia Russo, Bethany England and Ebony Sabu as the main strikers to the World Cup with Alessia and Bethany as the two main to play. It wasn't long ago I was having this discussion with a friend and we kind of concluded the same thing. Play Bethany like Ellen White did in the Euros in the build-up play, get a goal or two, then change it and bring Alessia on as a game changer and continue what we saw in the Euros. I can see that working well. What I can also see working well is Rachel starting up front with one of them, then switching it around if it doesn't work. The great thing about Rachel is that you don't have to take her off. You just have to move her up the pitch. She has the ability to do that. We've seen it. We've seen it countless times now. I think that is what makes her such a valuable player. She's probably going to be one of our best assets at the World Cup, which is why we can't limit her to one position. Don't write her off. Always keep the option open. So I mentioned at the start of this podcast about something blowing up on my TikTok this week. I wasn't planning on discussing it on here, but I think the way it's blown up, I kind of just want to conclude it and hopefully people understand my point and we can all move forward. So what happened was I posted on Valentine's Day about the increase on speculation of player sexualities. I use Leah Williamson as an example because I think it's probably one of the most talked about situations but it's not it's not the only situation i'm actually really happy and relieved that the videos was received so well it is something i've wanted to talk about for the longest time but i've always been worried it would be received the wrong way the internet is so quick to cancel someone for having an opinion i'll um sum up what i said for those that are not on tiktok or haven't seen it i was talking about how some fans seem to be forcing a narrative on players that haven't come out or confirmed any relationships it is a difficult one because of the stigma around women's football the stereotype is that you're a lesbian if you're a girl playing football so naturally that is why it's more accepted the amount of times that i've heard that from being at school playing sport to now oh you're a lesbian you play football you like football like no shut up no that is a double-edged you want to break that stigma you want to destroy that stereotype that that's the automatically 
the assumption when you play football or any sport but also at the same time if you are queer in any way it makes it easier but also harder because you're conforming to that stereotype the stereotype shouldn't be there in the first place but on the flip side of that there are so many players that aren't queer that have to fight that stereotype so my conclusion in the greatest of respect why does it truly matter i understand as someone someone myself that is part of that community we want that representation but don't we want it where someone is comfortable to do so there are so many female footballers that are out which is incredible to see and they're open about their relationships on social media so why are we forcing this narrative on other players they always nothing about their private life it is not public property they also think that this is going to have a knock-on effect on men's football we are trying to create safe spaces and say it's okay to be who you are Aside from the other reasons not to do so, male footballers probably don't feel comfortable to come out if the focus is going to drift away from their game time. It is so important to create safe and comfortable spaces within football and sport in general for males, females, anything in between and beyond to be who they are. It feeds into the same equality battle that your gender, sexuality, sex, race, religion, etc. doesn't define if you can kick a ball and play the game. I understand we need more queer representation, but don't force a narrative on someone we know frankly nothing about. Social media is misleading. A post or two means nothing. Some things might seem pretty obvious. Oh, that post looks like they're together. Oh, that tweet suggests that. But unless the player has said the words, I'm gay, bisexual, pansexual, etc. Or said, this is my girlfriend, this is my partner. Don't put it on them. It is wrong. This is either going to force them out of the closet or put a label on them that just has nothing to do with them. Think something. That is fine. Have your theories. That is absolutely fine. But don't post it online to gain popularity and people to believe it's true when there's actually no proof in it. So that long-winded explanation leads me to my next point because I believe all this attention to someone's personal life. My original intention for this section was the reaction online after two Arsenal players, Katie McCabe and Leah Watty, were the only people that clapped for travelling fans at the Manchester City game. I don't think it's a surprise that these were the two players that stopped, both being the captains of Ireland and Switzerland respectively. They understand and appreciate the support of the fans, Katie especially, because no disrespect to Ireland, I love them but their fans have practically been in the trenches with them. They have still gone to every game and supported them right to being qualified for the World Cup. She gets that it's difficult as a fan to watch games where the team isn't performing the best that they can all the time. This was the case with Arsenal. The fans had travelled from London for a half-twelve kickoff. Some probably stopped over, spent money on travel and hotels. Yeah, even as England captain didn't stop and clap. Argued she had the Brits to attend to but I'm pretty sure Chloe Kelly did stop and clap. Leah did stop for a fan after to give her shirt. Kim Little, as captain and former vice-captain of Scotland, didn't stop either. I, I think it is difficult when you've had a bad performance to keep the spirit up and go and see the fans. I remember a story from the chair of the Manchester City's Women's Supporters Club. I can't remember like the match details on when it was, but basically City had a really bad game and they didn't come out for the Supporters Club or fans. Later on, at an event, they came up to the club I apologised for not stopping because they felt they let down the fans with their performance and couldn't face them. This is probably a similar mood for Arsenal. Fans support their teams through thick and thin. I think clapping and thanking fans is one thing, it's respect. Stopping for photos and etc is different. They don't have to do that. And to go back to the first point of this section, players might be holding back from giving that fan interaction if some fans are invading their privacy all the time. Then that's going to have a general knock-on effect to the genuine fans that don't care about any of that stuff and they're there just for the football. The players might just think thanking and clapping is part of that interaction.
starting from this week, I am going to do a section called Rant or Rave, where I rant or rave unscripted about a topic within women's football. This week, I am going to have a rant. Fran's rant or rave of the week. What on earth is going on in the House of Commons? Correction. What on earth is happening at Tottenham Hotspur? What is actually happening with this team? Like, I just don't understand. They have such good potential, but for some reason, it's just going down the drain all the time. Like, I'm watching them and thinking, oh my God, they're sick. Like, you know, they're pushing and they're getting it. You know, they've just bought a striker for 250k or probably more, wrote the record. But what, in the long run, what is that going to do if they can't, like, keep the ball elsewhere in the pitch? You know, they can't pass the ball down so they can get the goals. Like, I just don't get it. Like... Is something going on behind the, behind the scenes that we don't get? It's very weird. Something's not clicking. Something's not gelling. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't. Like, do they need a new manager? Do they need not more coaching staff? You know, do they need to, like, get more players in the summer? No, they don't need to get more players. They just need to work with the players that they've got because something is not working. You know, they have the potential to be, like, such a good, like, mid-team, like, four or five in the table, push for the FA Cup, push for the Conte Cup, but something's not working. And I don't know. I don't know what's happening. The next thing I want to talk about is nominations and awards. Do they mean anything? This week, the nominations for this year's Best Women's Award for FIFA dropped. The final three were Beth Mead, Alexi Portellas and Alex Morgan. I have seen a lot of backlash online over these nominations mainly towards the last two. I just want to say overall, I agree with the nominations. There are other names I would like to see be considered, but the bottom line is, I agree. These three are the best in women's football right now. I have seen the argument because the Euros have been up front and centre on the world stage and all the nominees should be European players. But with that, should Alexia Putella has been nominated then? Yes, she's an absolute baller and only missed out due to injury. But if we're saying use the Euros as a blueprint for these awards, then surely she shouldn't be there because she didn't play in the Euros. Alex Morgan is arguably one of the best footballers in the world. And just because she didn't take part in the biggest competition last year because, well, she's American, so she can't, does that mean she should not be nominated? Absolutely not. She just got her 200 caps for country. She won the NWSL Golden Boot. She scored the winning goal in the International Championship and helped secure the spots in other international competitions. She has achieved everything possible as an American player. So why shouldn't she be considered? The Euros kind of did eclipse everything last year. We have to look past England and Europe when considering the best in the world. And that is Alex Morgan. The World Cup will be centre stage again this year. And you better believe she'll have a starring role in that show, regardless of what team you are back in or player preferences. Beth Mead, well, that one makes sense. One of Euro's shining players and needs no explanation, really. I'd be surprised if she wasn't there. Alexia Portellas literally got injured just before the Euros and still had a very successful campaign in the Spanish League. She won the Ballon d'Or. Why wouldn't she be there? So overall, do these kind of nominations mean anything? Does it add to your success? In this particular case, not really. Whilst all three deserve the credit, does Alex Morgan really need another award to confirm what is already known? She is a GOAT. Same with Alexia Putellas. She has won back-to-back Ballon d'Ors. The stats back it up. Beth Mead has won all the awards she can in this country whilst putting in stellar performances. Does it add to their status? Maybe, but they don't need it. It's subjective. You don't need an award like this to be an amazing footballer. There are plenty of footballers that go under the 
radar without these rewards. But fans who watch day in, day out know. They might get frustrated, but they know who the real ballers are. With that, I'm kind of just going to throw out everything that I've just said and um, talk about someone that I think keeps going under the radar and it's getting kind of frustrating. I need a moment to talk about Millie Bright, but what does she have to do to get some recognition? Like I said, I'm going to go back on what I said, but where is her credit? She is, to me, one of the best centre-backs in Europe right now. And she's constantly going under the radar. She's won the Euros, she's won WSL titles, FA Cup, Conte Cups, everything but the Champions League. I would say it's because centre-backs get overlooked due to not having those golden scoring moments. But I see others getting credit where I think Millie should be getting it too. She's played every minute possible for Chelsea. I think she's only been subbed off once this season. She is a grafter and puts in a cracking shift every week and does not get what she deserves. Even like the tiniest bit of credit. Do I even need to say the words joint golden boot Arnold Clark winner? As I was writing this, the nominations for the WSL Player of the Month were dropped. Jahina Leipzig, Jordan Nobbs, Hannah Rundle, Kirsty Hansen, Chloe Kelly and Bethany England. Overall, even with the fewer games this month, I think that's a pretty solid nomination list. So. Again, I'm going to go back on what I just said about not needing awards because I think this one's a little bit different. I'm going to go back on it because we are witnessing comebacks, revenge season, whatever you want to call it, for both Jordan Nobbs and Bethany England. And this, this, these nominations further cement that because, again, I'm adding bits to my script because things got dropped. They've also been nominated for Goal of the Month. Whilst I think that every single person deserves that nomination. Whilst I think that every single person deserves these nominations, you know, Leipzig has been incredible for Leicester. Kirsty Hansen, Hannah Blundell and Chloe Kelly put in incredible performances. I'm just loving the comebacks at the moment. And I think this will really help the confidence of both players. I'm gonna be honest and give my opinion. I would want Bethany to win over Jordan. That's not that I don't think Jordan deserves the award. I think she does. But I think with any comeback, you need a starting block. You need that thing that says, yes, you made the right decision and all your hard work is paying off. Jordan got that. Even under the worst circumstances, she got called up for England. Serena didn't have to choose her. She didn't even have to choose anyone else. That proved that Jordan's hard work is being seen. You need those small victories along the way to keep going. Because both of them have done these huge moves from their clubs that they've been at for absolutely years. I know I chose to have my rant or rave about Spurs, but you cannot deny the impact that Bethany is having since moving. Yes, they're not getting the overall results that they need, but they're getting goals now. Would I want her to get both awards? Yeah, I think I would. But also at the same time, if, her and, if it's her and Jordan, that'd be cool. If it's anyone else, that's also cool. But, but also with all that I just said about Spurs and Bethany, it takes me back to what I said earlier about Spurs' upcoming month. Could this be about to add to this revenge season that everyone's talking about? I think it might do. I think it might. Hi guys, I did this section about Canada and for some reason when I was trying to edit it, it just like wouldn't edit. So then I lost the entire audio. I don't have time to record it again and I'm really, really sad. So obviously that's a very important issue right now. But overall, it's a very important issue and we must start with Canada and... Yeah, I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. Overall, I thought it was class what the US did with them last night at the She Believes Cup. Total, like, message to the Federation and hopefully moving forward, we'll see some changes. Well, that was a long one today, wasn't it? <laughs> I hope you took breaks when needed. 
I didn't think I'd end up covering so much, but I feel like I covered a lot. I will be at the Arnold Clark Cup on Sunday and Wednesday, so I hope to still have time to plan for a very detailed podcast. I really enjoyed the game last night. I thought it was really good. You know, Lauren James is like incredible and I cannot wait to see where she goes in her career. I saw a lot of people hating on Emma Hayes' commentary. I think she's great and she's so passive aggressive. I just love it. And I just don't think she's biased towards her own players. Like she's very quick to like move the topic on and you know talk about the WSL as a whole and not Chelsea, which I think is really good. I did just get a new microphone, which I didn't use today, but next week I will hopefully use it. So the quality will be a million times better. I hope you all have a nice week, weekend, and I'll speak to you all soon. 